Welcome our new host of the OIS podcast, Dr. Isan Sadre, as he sits down for a conversation with industry veteran, Tom Mitro, president and COO of Airy Pharmaceuticals. In his first podcast interview, Isan gets Tom to open the curtain to reveal the secrets to Aerie's success and what they have in the works to keep the company on the fast track to being a dominant force in ophthalmology. Let's listen in. All right, so my name is Isan Sadri. I'm a board certified ophthalmologist here in lovely Newport Beach, California. Um, I had the distinct honor of uh, bringing my really good friend and colleague, um, he needs no introductions to this inaugural interview for OIS um, podcast. And, you know, Tom, I've known you for a long time. And, you know, what I'm excited about, what, I'm, what intrigues me and I, my generation of ophthalmologists is how do I take somebody who's got a young, you know, in a very incredible potential career and really take him and take, make him into a Tom Mitro. I know it won't be exactly like a Tom Mitro because you're perfect. Right. <laughs> but how do I, how do I, how, what's the secret sauce there? How do I take somebody who's done what you've done at all your career and, but most recently the Aerie? I know it's a pretty big, broad question, but let's start with that. I would love to learn a little bit. Yeah, you know, I really, I really appreciate that question. And, and as you well know, there's a, a number of us that, sort of walk in the same shoes in this industry. And I think of our good friends, both of our good friends, folks like you know Jim Mazo and many others that, that have done the more of the same things and even done bigger and better. But here's, here's what I'd say. I think what I'm proud of and what I try to tell other people is, the first thing you've got to do is you can't focus on yourself, just like you in your practice. If you focused on yourself and your practice, your practice wouldn't have gone anywhere. Well, I don't think my career would have gone anywhere if I was mostly concerned about myself. What I was concerned about is how I can help other people. And the funniest thing is I think ophthalmology is especially attuned to helping people. In fact, I used to say in sales training, the most powerful words you can say to an ophthalmologist is, I need your help. And to a person, See, many of them running around, hectic as all get out. I'd be in their practice. They'd come up and say, what can I do for you? And I'd say, I need your help. And all of a sudden, the world stops, and they sit down and say, what can I do for you? So my point is, if people really want to get ahead in their career and build a great career, they've got to think of other people, and they uh, trust that they will be taken care of, and I, and I believe that. That's terrific. And, you know, you, you're, you nailed it. I think this a lot of the good business books and mentors describe creating that value and how do you create the most value for the most people and how do you help people um, but dive into it a little bit more because you know as I remember now you can correct me if I'm wrong because I remember you were commuting going up and down the coast and you and I had lunch and I remember you were telling me you know I'm looking at this thing with Vince Vince Anito who's who also is a, a true legend like yourself and you guys took a company with a small market cap. I mean, at the time it was, what, three, four hundred million probably? Not sure. bad. Great right. idea. Uh -huh. And God rest his soul, Dr. Epstein, the late uh, Dr. Epstein had this concept of using novel techniques to bring intraocular pressure reduction. And um, that's while that's amazing, I think if I'm a young entrepreneur and I'm thinking of having a career in ophthalmology, let's say pharma, how do I take a company, and I think, again, correct me if I was like maybe short of five years, you guys went from three, four hundred million to now two, three billion dollar market cap. Mm -hmm. That's pretty outstanding. Mm -hmm. How, 
dive in a little bit more detail. Break that down a little bit for me. Little, give me a little flavor of how, what is what is the internal, you know, the war room look like <laughs> for you guys. Right. So there, there's a there's a couple of things that happen. And by the way, yeah, when we joined in uh, both in 2013, and neither one of us really knew much about Erie at all. But once we started taking a look at it, we saw that the company had something that we knew we could deal with, and those were really fantastic products. And brilliant men, meaning Dr. David Epstein, as you mentioned. And also the other person we thought that was really brilliant was Dr. Casey Kupchinski, who's our chief scientific officer. We were impressed by the amount of work that Casey was able to do with very little resources. I mean, less than 20 people in the company. I mean, he did the formulations around Ropressa, was coming up with the formulation for Roclitan. He'd done all the preclinical work that was required for our NDA around Ropressa and Roclitan and actually got Ropressa through phase two. The problem that he was facing, the company was facing at that time, is that, well, they were at a crossroads because they were going to enter phase three, and they needed money to do that. And nobody in the company at that time was good at raising money, so they brought in the kingpin. They, caught in, they brought in Vince Anito as the CEO, and Vince had tremendous respect through many years through people on Wall Street and ways to, to raise money. So they brought in Vince to raise money and us obviously to grow the company as well. And they brought me in to prepare the company for commercialization and to grow the company as well too. Now what we like about that is there's a couple things that have to happen. First, you, you sort of get a division of labor. I mean, Vince was really in tune with, the, with, the, uh, uh, with Wall Street and with the money people and talking to them all the time about who we were, where we were going and all those sorts of things. And meanwhile, I was busy thinking about how do we get ready to build this company because we knew that we were going to go through explosive growth, at least from the employee standpoint. I mean, as I said, we started, there were less than 30 people in the company. Now we have over 400 people in the company. That's outstanding. So the trick was, though, with that whole thing was hiring the right people, not a number of people. And we've spent a lot of time, there's an adage in our company that simply says, guard that front door. And everybody in our company knows that. And what we mean by that is that I say to people, is when you're sitting across from that person and you're interviewing them, you've got to make sure that person looks exactly like you do. And of course, I obviously don't mean appearance by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, what's inside of that person? What's their, where's their heart? Where's their passion? Where's their drive? Where's their, their conviction to making sure that they can do it as well as they possibly can do? And when you see that, you open our company's front door and you wrap your arms around that person and you bring them in. So I think really that's what it's all about. You know, you've got to get those people, and you've got to have strong, smart people in back of that. But everybody has to have a commitment level that is with beyond reproach. Mm -hmm. Well, that's fantastic. That's really, really concrete. I think that even helps me as my practice. I, I got to guard my front door. <laughs> <laughs> that's terrific. So tell me, let's pivot a little bit because you know you've had this monstrous year, and we've as ophthalmologists in our, you know. Inner circles are discussing the product most recently, Rocklatan, that was just uh, launched. And the year before was, as you know, Repressa. Um, tell, tell us, how do you make it so it looks so easy? How, I mean, it's getting F FDA approval. We all have, you know, companies that we worked with or we know of that took years and years. And then, you know, they don't meet, they don't meet the endpoints. Again, I know you guys make it look easy, but break it down for me a little bit about how your thought process was, I know you have exquisite experience with this uh, arena, but educate me a little bit. Take me through what it was like launching two different products in two different years and just make it look so easy. 
Yeah, I, I tell you, first off, it was a, an awful lot of fun and an awful lot of hard work. And be, what you don't see is all the blood, sweat, and tears that go on with that each and each and every day. So what I always say about being in a startup like we were in, and we will, by the way, that's the mentality I want to have in this company 10 years from now. No matter how big we are, and I think we'll be tr tremendously successful, I want people thinking of us in our employees as a startup because I like that mentality. What I say about startups is that they're like sports cars. You know, they're fast. They better be fast. They better be agile. But the other thing is you're going to feel every bump in the road. Mm -hmm. Some of those bumps don't feel so bad. Others, though, do. And you'll go from, well, I'm sure it's like running your practice. You think at 10 o'clock in the morning it's a wonderful day at 1 o'clock. There's a catastrophe and it's a terrible day. But by 3 o'clock, the sun may come back out again and you're smiling. You've got to get used to that. You know, at Allergan, I learned a, uh, an adage that uh, it came true when I joined, started doing startups, and that was a champion survives the ups and downs. And I really think that is vital to what we're able to do. Wow. But just to answer your question, how we were able to put this together is we hire really good people that know where they are and they are on top of the game. Mm -hmm. I mean, our clinical person was outstanding at running clinical trials. Marv Garrett, our regulatory person, has a very good communication style with the FDA. So that if we need a question, we need, uh, we need something answered, he can get on the phone and get an answer from that. But what we do all the time as a team is talk all the time as well, too. Now, we don't live next to each other, many of us, but we talk to each other a couple of times each and every day so we know what each and everyone thinks about things. And when we encounter a problem, we don't put it till tomorrow, the next day. We, we encounter a problem, we handle it right then and there and get it off the table. So tell, tell me about that. If you're um, now you have division of labor, <clears throat> how does that work when you have a startup uh, mentality? Because I've seen this in companies, you know, we all have had companies in the past we've worked with and know of that, um, for the lack of a better term, you know, go from an Apple into IBM. And I'm, I mean this with mm -hmm. all due respect, but, you know, they become an, more of a, a dogmatic as opposed <clears throat> to a startup nimble. And so how do you do that with 400 people? And how do you put out fires? And how does the division of labor look like? I love, that is I love a to. tremendous question. And, and I'm really, I really like this question because this is really how we set it up at the beginning. You know, I'm the chief operations officer, which means I take care of operations, which means I take care of, or at least I should take care of, the day-to-day -day things that are right in front of my nose. What I mean by that are things like our clinical program. So we're running clinicals here in the United States, in Europe, and in Japan, about 15 different countries, but it's all right in front of us. That's a day-to-day -day execution standpoint about when can we get enrollment, how can we incre increase enrollment, are we going to hit our timelines, and those sorts of things. Really an operation. Regulatory and quality is also an operational duty. It's a matter of when can we get those files in, what else do we need, how do we respond to the FDA, bang, bang, bang. The commercialization reports to me. Is it here? We're setting it up in Europe. Hopefully at some point we'll set it up in Japan. It's all about right in front of us. That's the team we put on the field to go out there, block, tackle, kick field goals, and score touchdowns. God love it. Now the other people, like the R&D group, the business development group, they report to Vince. So they don't have that day-to-day -day operational uh, over their head. They're thinking more about how would this product work or how would that product work or how could we change this product or what do we need to do in R&D to make this product better? How could it penetrate better? How could it be more effective? Those sorts of things. How could we do side effects or increase effectiveness? Those are the type of things that Vince and I do not want the operational people uh, caught up with. Business development is another good example. If we have, you know, business development opportunities knock on our door each and every day. Mm -hmm. We don't want the operational people distracted from what they're doing to think about how do I evaluate this asset that's, that could potentially come our way. Now, we'll get together at the end of the day if Vince's team 
looks at it and says, this is really something we think we want to pursue, then he'll bring in other people from our company to give their expertise and give their vote as a yay or nay. But we don't mix that on a day-to-day -day basis until it's absolutely necessary. Well, that's genius. For those of you listening, I hope you're taking notes, because I am. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's, pretty, that's pretty ingenious to be able to bring. What I'm hearing is you're basically taking people's gifts and, f and focusing it onto different comp compartments. And then you still come back at the end of the day once you've vetted all the technology. I ask you this because, you know, I personally, I go through a lot of venture stuff now, as you know, with Visionary. And it's, it's fascinating how, how the, the soup is made at the end of the day. So that's terrific. Thank you for that. Um, tell us what you're excited about next year. You know, now you've set a high bar. I'm expecting a couple other products to come out <laughs> next year. So I know you're doing it right now. Tell me as much as you're comfortable with sure. um, disclosing. A lot of it is, you know, you're disclosed already. Ready, but um, maybe recap a little bit for our audience what you're excited about next, you know, 24 months. Yeah, let, let me tell you what I'm first really excited about. Sure. The, the underpinning of this whole thing sure. is just the continual receptivity that ophthalmology has for new technologies, new companies, as long as that company wants to work with ophthalmologists. I mean, I've, I was, again, just uh, absolutely dumbfounded by the response. I don't think we've, we've asked any ophthalmologist to really work with us that has ever said no. They just want to do more and more and more. It's sort of an interesting bent in the ophthalmologist's mind. They, they just don't want to be a prescriber or a user of a medical device. They want to be the developer. They want to improve those things. So we love that. Mm -hmm. The other thing I like about ophthalmology is that these folks fight for their patients. They don't, they don't accept what happens by, as an example, in managed care. So here's a good example with that. So we launched Repressa about 10 months, ago, or after about 10 months, um, we were getting managed care coverage, but it certainly wasn't up to where it is now. But in that period of time, in the 10 months, the ophthalmologist uh, submitted over 60,000 prior authorizations for that product. 60,000 is an unbelievable amount. And what it did, by the way, well, frankly, it put managed care on their knees. And that's why we have almost 80% coverage in Part D right now in the first 10 or 11 months of product is on the market, which is outstanding. So that's really what excites me. If you treat ophthalmologists well, you give them what they want, you listen to them, you don't have to do what they want, but just listen to them and explain to them what you're doing, they will come back and help you in, in a lot of different ways. Yeah, that's terrific. I mean, you know, I, I see that in your company, and I think part of the reason I think you folks have responded so well to you and your companies because of you guys, the leadership. I think you, you, you're you still not, um, you know, for lack of a better term, you know who the customer is, and it's palpable, mm -hmm. right? And I think people go out, of, go out of their way to help people who pay attention to them. And I think really that, again, if, I, if there's somebody listening that is sort of struggling or thinking about, um, you know, how do I have a good launch with penetration of a new novel product that, as you know, managed care doesn't usually want to, has no appetite to cover, is how do I engage your customer? And you guys have done that. You've engaged the customer base by creating a, a culture that they matter. The customer matters, and I think that's palpable. I think that's part of you have to. You can't discount that. No, I, I agree a thousand percent. In fact, Vince and I both spend a tremendous amount of time in the field. We both we both have have had a number of dinners this week as well as last week as well too. When we're in town or when we're traveling, we'll try to get out with physicians, and we always have this sort of unspoken litmus test around how are we doing with customers. We know we're doing well with customers when they not only tell us what's good about the product, but they don't mind saying, "Well, by the way." Here's the issues that you've got to address. When we continue to get that type of honesty from our customers, then we know that we can, are continuing to move in the right direction. Because that's always what we ask each other about. What would you hear on the negative? And as long as we keep hearing things on the negative, 
then we'll feel really good about the, the relationship we have. Terrific. So with that said, we're um, going to do a quick segue in OIS uh, ASRS, which is coming up on the 25th. We're excited about that. For those of you planning to attend, please stop by and see the folks over there. Join us on July 25th at the Ritz-Carlton Chicago for the Ophthalmology Innovation Summit preceding ASRS. This unique program features the latest clinical advancements in the posterior segment and gives you the opportunity to hear from and meet with the most exciting retina startups, industry executives, investors, and clinical key opinion leaders. Visit OIS.net and sign up today. So we're back, and we wanted to remind everybody that um, OIS ASRS is coming up on July 25th. Uh, if you haven't signed up to go to this event, please do so. I have Tom Mitro here. He's a good friend of mine, president and CEO of Airy Pharmaceuticals. You know he needs no introduction for those of you just starting to listen to us. Um, Tom, let's go back to that because we were talking about we had covered your last two glaucoma products. And, uh, you know, I, there's a lot of excitement about how you're creating a full portfolio, multidisciplinary company now, Retina. So tell us about that. Yeah, we're really excited about the uh, the inroads that we've had and successes we've had so far in Retina. Now, we're early stage, no doubt, and I want to underscore that. We've got a long way to go, but by God, we sure are happy from where we are. So right now, what we have are two product compounds, right? We have a product called 1105 that we picked up, by the way, in the acquisition of Invisia that we did. 1105 is a dexamethasone steroid that we think will be a treatment for RVO and DME. The other product we have is, uh, is called 13503, and, and 13503 is an inhibitor of both rho kinase as well as protein kinase C. Now, the exciting thing about that is that's a uh, potential treatment, again, that we'll be studying for not only DME, but also wet AMD. And when we talk to the retina specialists, they get really excited about that because today what they have is one MOA in that entire market, and both anti-VEGF products, both like Lucentis and Ilea, so you can't use those together. And so when a product starts losing effectiveness through time, as those products have a tendency to do, they don't have anywhere else to go. A product like 13503 with different MOAs could be used as either monotherapy or as adjunctive to the current treatment, so they're quite excited about that. Now, the other thing we've been able to do is we were, we were successful at building out our assets around the product compounds we have, and we have two enabling technologies that really help us, the first of which is a relationship with a Danish company called DSM. And DSM is a broad-based chemical company in Europe, and what they can do is they can uh, engineer and make bioerodible implants that could hit our drug elution rates so that we can get sustained release over a period of time that we want. So what that means, is an example, is we will go to them with 1105 and 13503 and say, we would like these implants to deliver this amount of drug over a six-month period of time, as an example. Those guys go away, they go into their labs, and they come back out and say, we've got the implant for you. So that's what they're very good at and very capable of. That's what we've been working with them. Of course, the other technology we have is, again, what we picked up in the acquisition of Invisia, and that's the print manufacturing technology for ophthalmology rights. So we take these, those implants at DSM um, engineers, we put them in the print technology, and we can uh, manufacture those implants in a highly GMP fashion way, in a, in a highly reproducible and very fast way, so we can get these implants manufactured um, just the way that we want them in a very small space. So we're quite excited about DSM, very excited about the print technology, and of course excited about our products, our products for, uh, uh, for Retina. That's fascinating. So you're, you're, you're creating the model 
that will essentially be able to reuse and maybe put other future compounds in it? Very true. Very, very, that's exactly right. Mm -hmm. This, uh, I can't say the potential is limited, but we can't find the limits yet of what this potential might be. That's terrific. Well, I mean, it's always really good to hear that we have new MOAs, especially for patients that are refractory to the current, um, you know, modalities that we have out there. And, you know, I personally go, you know, whenever I give talks to um, ophthalmologists um, across the country, I personally always start by saying, we have to support people who support us, right? Uh, because there's, uh, organically, there's always fight between, um, or I don't want to say quite apathy, but, you know, this burnout of people writing branded medications in general, I would say. And I say, well, the dollars that you're spending um, for the branded medication, not only get higher quality meds for your patients, but also the R&D that comes in for future. This is huge because, you know, I can't remember the last time a Ketorlac rep or a Timolol rep showed up for samples mm -hmm. or did anything R&D. Sure. Um, and I do think that if when I look at, I have a global perspective on this stuff, I, I get excited because the U.S. is really the cornerstone, if you will, of, of the future development of, of pharma. Now, it's not to discount other countries or regions, but really the bulk of it comes from the U.S. And from what you're describing, um, it's exciting. I mean, you're basically creating a, a de novo full-pledged company. Congratulations. That's well, great. Well, thank you. Like I said, we've got a long way to go, but by God, we sure are happy with where we are. Do you ever see now, now I'm going to put you on a limb now. Sure. now. Do you ever see yourself going to the device or maybe this hybrid model? As you know, we're, our good friends in, you know, in other sectors like Glaucos are now moving towards pharma, <laughs> right? And they're doing pharma-based potential sure. in, in glaucoma treatment because of compliance issues. Do you see or do you think it's, is, is that outside the wheelhouse of, of what you have envisioned? Well, first off, as you, as you well know, we, we are a pharma-based pharmaceutical company. But on the other hand, if you include implants as, as medical devices, with absolutely, without a doubt, but like I was saying, we're there now with our retina program, and we think we could expand that for various reasons into things like the glaucoma market as well as, as other disease states. So without a doubt, as you were alluding to prior with, a, with our relationships with DSM and, of course, the print technology, we're highly interested in taking that forward to see what we can do. So, But as far as a stereotypic medical device thing, you know, probably not. I mean, you know, for, for like, let me make an intraocular lens as an example or something along that, or a FACO machine. Mm -hmm. You know, anything that can break, we're not that interested in. But if it's an implant or something along that line, we're all, we're all uh, gung for. We want to hear more and we want to develop it. That's terrific. So, you know, as, as we wrap up and conclude, um, tell me some things that you would want our uh, listeners to really hone in on or, or focus on as we follow you closely uh, at AAO and then, you know, back in 2020, which is an interesting year, vision being 2020. Um, what, are your, what are you excited about? What are your, what are your thoughts on um, what would you like to see that's not in, in the ophthalmic space, even if it's agnostic, if you're agnostic towards, um, you know, airy? Yeah, the, the first thing I really want uh, with ophthalmologists is, is just to say to them, by God, if you've got an idea, call us. And I think we'll surprise you because you know what we'll do? If we don't answer the phone, we're going to call you right back. And, uh, I mean, that's that customer orientation that we talked a little bit about before that I saw and grew growing up when I grew up at Allergan. It was, it was unbelievable what Gavin Herbert and others, executives at that time, what they thought about customers. So whatever the idea is, and we want to hear about it because then we can help decide whether, in fact, it's, it's the next best thing or something that's quite the opposite of this. We just want them thinking about that all the time. And you know, that's where all the good ideas come from. I mean, they come from the ophthalmologists themselves because you're seeing the patients. You know where the holes are in therapy or in treatments. 
and you know what's there today that you're just absolutely fine with. So we want them to just think of us first and make this top of mind because as long as we're that company, then we're going to have a long, good history in ophthalmology. And if he doesn't call you, I'll call you. <laughs> <laughs> and we look forward to hearing your comments um, on social media. And also, if you have any future um, things you're intrigued about as an audience, please email us. Uh, my email is esaudry, that's two eyes at the end, at gmail.com. Um, Again, Tom, thank you for having us com coming here today and spending your time with us. Well, Isan, thank you very much for, for having me. And it was, it was an always an awful lot of fun talking with you. It's also quite thought-provoking. So thank you very much. Look forward to doing it again. Thanks for listening to the OIS podcast. Please give us a rating on iTunes and share this podcast link with your colleagues and friends. For more digital content or details on upcoming Ophthalmology Innovation Summits, visit OIS.net and sign up today.